Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday edition, the mailbag. Uh, we are going to discuss the win at UCLA. Big picture type stuff with the Ducks, the remaining of football season. And there's a lot to dive into on this show. I think um, it's a good win. There's a lot of excitement. The Ducks are moving back up into the top 10. Uh, playoffs are going to be discussed. So let's dive right into this show, guys. All right. We've got six questions to get to. The first one from at Hodges underscore Ryan. At this point in the season, should fans be expecting this team to turn some sort of page and start beating teams more handedly? Or do you see more of the same coming? In parentheses, he writes, close games that may come down to a possession. If this, if there's ever a week, it's this one. Yeah. I mean, we said that about Arizona. And – it was a game that they on the scoreboard. It looks like they won handily, but it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Colorado beat that Arizona team 34-0, but they also just got beaten 26 to 3. Egg on my face because I picked the I picked the Buffs over over California. That didn't play out very well. Um, by the way, terrible weeks for me in the picks. So I missed a bunch of them. Matt had a great week. I think he was perfect, but that's a we'll recap that later in the week. Um, this Colorado team should be a team they can beat handily. And I think if they play the way they did in spurts against UCLA, they will. But it's also – I just don't have any confidence of it until we see it because even against UCLA, it really felt like for two and a half quarters, this was the game. They outscored UCLA 34-3, to looked dominant doing it. Each phase of the game was impressive. And yet at the end of the game, they're having to, you know, chew your fingernails off because it's so close. So um, – I mean, I feel like it could be a turning point game, and maybe it'll feel like it against the Colorado team. Because if you're ever going to blow out a team, it's this team at home right. coming off of a game where I think they had less than 100 yards of total offense against Cal. Um, this is the game. But, I mean, what do we think? I mean, do we expect it, or, or are we still kind of feeling like, I don't know? Because this, we felt like this is, we felt how many times this year have we felt this is the week, and it just hasn't been the week? So, Oregon has played in six games this season that there has been a betting line. Um, the seventh was Stony Brook. In the six games that have had a betting line, four of them, they were favored, and every single time they failed to cover the spread. That's a 19-and-a-half-point spread against Fresno State that they failed to cover, a 30-point spread against Arizona, which they failed to cover, an 8-and-a-half-point spread at Stanford, which they failed to cover, and a 13-and-a-half-point spread against California, which they failed to cover. So my first inkling is no, they will not cover a 26-and-a-half-point spread uh, against a putrid Colorado football team. But it's like at some point they're going to break through, right? Yeah, feels like it. it has to be, right? Like at well, some point they're going to break through, and so this is probably the one time the rest of the year I feel confident in saying Oregon will cover a spread. I mean, you would hope at one point that they can break through. They've had plenty of chances to do it. They have not done it yet. Uh, they have shown flashes, like against UCLA in the second and third quarter. They were tremendous. Uh, the defense only allowed seven uh, seven yard total yards to UCLA in the third quarter. Uh, they like Oregon was firing on all cylinders for two quarters of the game yet during the second and third quarters, which is strange because those are the quarters that they usually get absolutely pulverized in. 
um, the first and fourth quarters are where Oregon really excels. They get out to an early lead or they come from behind and then win, win the football game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I don't see I, – I mean, they just haven't showed it for seven weeks. I don't see Oregon going out there and suddenly beating teams by 35 or 26 or covering the spreads like Matt was saying. I, I just don't. They haven't done it once yet. And right. even the games where it looks like a blowout of the final score, those are all one-score games either in the fourth quarter or late in the third quarter. And I, they still haven't shown anything that makes me think, yeah, they can do it. Because if they were going to show me something, it would have came against UCLA where they were up by 17 at one point, and then all of a sudden it was three points. And so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I have confidence that Oregon could continue to win but I think they're going to be like Oklahoma has been doing, where they're skating by on the edge of their seats, barely beating teams. Oklahoma barely beat Kansas this week. Uh, they had to have Caleb Williams strip his own guy of the, of the football and run for a first down to really solidify their win over Kansas. So <laughs> yeah. that's the type of team this is. They have done an excellent job being that type of team, considering that they're 6-1. and one. But, again, if there was a week, it'd be this week because Colorado is downright bad. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But so was Arizona, and that wasn't easy. So uh, I don't see it happening. If Oregon covers the spread in this game, it's going to be because it's going to be a win that's like 34 to, to 6. Like, I don't I don't think they're going to be a team that, that puts up 50 the rest of the year against an opponent, unless they get like multiple special teams slash defensive touchdowns. We should note Colorado is a good defensive team. Um, mm -hmm. That's a, I would say probably top half of the conference defensively, which maybe isn't saying a ton. So I agree with Matt in terms of like a script for a blowout is probably more of a Colorado scores less than 10 Oregon scores, 35 to 38 kind of thing. I, I would imagine um, this sentiment, by the way, we're talking about leads us perfectly. I think into the next question from at duck fan, Noel, is it possible to be happy and mad at your team at the same time? Um, I, I mean, I just feel like that's kind of where fans are right now. And I, I don't want to say we're happy or mad about the team's success, but I think you can certainly say watching this team regularly, you're both impressed at times and then really frustrated and confused at other times. And I, that's just the roller coaster of, of you know, following this team, of, of being a fan of this team, of basically interacting with this team is, is you come away each week being like, well, they won, and it was really fun for certain parts of the game, and boy, was it not fun for other parts. And, you know, you rewatch the game, and the first and fourth quarter were really just terrible. They were outscored, you know, if you take away the touchdown by Anthony Brown, that was the third play of the fourth quarter. They were outscored 28 to nothing in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, and in between is a 34 to 3 run, which is super impressive. And so, Again, it's just this mixed bag team. And, yeah, I think it is possible to be that. Absolutely. You, you can be conflicted about this team. I think you kind of have to be. Um, you can like some of the positives. There's definitely some things that we saw on Saturday against UCLA that, that I'm really intrigued by and, um, I guess, um, excited to have seen. I mean, just the way Oregon got after the quarterback and absolutely made Dorian Thompson Robinson's life hell. Um, you know, credited with four sacks, only credited with two knockdowns. But if you go rewatch that, I think it's closer to eight or nine. I mean, he was getting his butt kicked. Yeah. And um, 
he was on his back a lot <laughs> taking i mean there were at least three or four times where he had to be like he was laying on his chest on the turf or i guess not turf on the grass at the rose bowl and had to have a teammate come over and be like you good like you took a shot sorry i couldn't maybe keep those guys from hitting you my bad but are you okay can you keep playing and eventually he wasn't able to do that so like you know he wasn't able to get back up again and, and ethan garbers had to come in and, and we saw what happened so like uh, my, my point is, like, I'm super excited by that, but I'm also really concerned by the fact that the offense couldn't put its foot down on UCLA and either run the clock out or find ways to, you know, to if you're not going to use it on the ground, simulate some sort of running game through the air. Um, and that, that when they did go there, it ended up being two costly interceptions by Anthony Brown. And, and Brown even is maybe more, you know, symbolic or, or representative of this kind of concept of being happy and mad because. At times, I think everybody felt really good by how Anthony Brown played, and at other times, you're pulling your hair out. I've just reached the point, and I put this on the site, I put it on social media. I've, I've reached the point where I don't, I'm tired of Oregon winning a game and everything just falling back to complaining about Anthony Brown. Like, he is who he is. They're not going to make a change, he's their best quarterback that's on this roster that the coaching staff feels gives them the best chance to win. And you just have to accept the fact that that's who's going to be at quarterback and he's not going to have good moments. He's, he is a middle of the road at best quarterback and they're finding ways to win. And so like, I, I just basically what I'm trying to say is I hope duck fans don't, get lost in the frustration and the anger, I, which is I, at, the, at this point just silly. I, I don't know if that's even the right word to describe it, but they're so focused on one player and his inconsistencies and you're missing a season that's exciting. Like whether they should be blowing teams out or not, all of these games are, are coming down to the wire from a pure entertainment standpoint. And you don't miss – a bigger, more fun experience because you're fo so focused on one negative aspect of this team. Yeah, but the quarterback is the most important part of any sure. football team. It's the most sure. important position in any sport. Uh, I mean, there are reasons as to why these games are so close. There are reasons as to why the last three games have ended on the final offensive possession from the opposing team with Oregon having to defend. And I get your point of the whole, like, uh, we can't you know, keep bashing Anthony Brown after a win because, yeah, I mean, Oregon's still winning at the end of the day, but the, these, these are severe flaws. These are things that have cost Oregon their game against Stanford. These are things that have almost cost Oregon a couple of games during the season. Uh, I think everybody's in their own right to, to be critical of, of players. Um, it just is kind of what happens. It happens to your, your favorite team and, Football and baseball and basketball. Um, there's the the only issue with Anthony Brown is that he's the quarterback, and that's the most important person on the field at all times. Uh, to to answer the the general question, is it possible to be happy and mad at your team at the same time? Yeah, I mean it's it's any team. Um, it can be Oregon, or it can be like any of the other sports that I just mentioned. Um, you know, you can you could be like a hundred win team in baseball go through a week where they only win two out of their six games and be like, ah, the sky is falling. And you know, maybe that's just me because of like some of the passion that I've had with New England sports over the years. But yeah, it's entirely possible to be happy and mad at your team at the same time. And 
there is no better team to do that with than the Oregon Ducks right now because every game is every game is down to the exact wire. And while usually Oregon fans end up happy on the outskirts of it because they end up with a victory, there certainly are moments where you can you can anticipate being pretty mad during the game. And whether that's play, play calling, just overall uh, the referees apparently in some of these games as well, it's pretty easy to be happy or mad at this team. I'm I'm not saying you can't be critical of Anthony Brown, but I'm just so tired of like when Oregon wins and the response I get is, yeah, but Anthony Brown sucks, so we're not good. Just play the backups. Like I'm tired of that. Yeah, like, but we've been doing that. I, I agree, but – I've moved on. Like they're not going to make a change, and I, unless he gets hurt okay. or the season falls off the rails, and I don't think okay. it's right to, to root for injury. I don't think it's right to root no. for losses against your favorite team, unless you're a professional team trying to get a draft pick. Um, and and so like I just I'm just I'm tired of when they win a game and the first response is yeah, but Anthony Brown sucks, so who cares? Like that's just. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm over it. Like, I've said it. We can move on. No, I, I, I get, I get both your sentiments too, because it, it is, it is a conflicting one because we did spend so much time being like, I think maybe they need to make a change, which I don't think any of us like totally have moved on from Anthony Brown. And we all, I mean, Maddie's even said Anthony Brown is in a middle of the road quarterback. Um, but it is also clear that they're not making a change. And so I guess we just accept the fact that this is what it is. It's not what anybody wants it to be, honestly, probably right now. I mean, I understand the complaints and I understand the frustration at times with his play. Um, and I also understand Matt's point of like, enjoy the fact that they're six and one and in a position. Um, but it is also fair to, to be critical of Anthony when he's not playing great, but not at the expense of enjoying the whole, I guess, game itself and what the program is doing. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to the next one from at Nick Win, and he threw out a bunch of numbers. I don't know if this is his cell phone number, but if it is, try try calling this five one one seven three three five three. I think that might be a number short, so maybe it's yeah, we're, we're short. Maybe it's like a, yeah, maybe that's some sort of overseas line or something. Anyway, uh, we spent too much time trying to decipher uh, what this what these numbers might mean. If Oregon wins out and follows with a Pac twelve title, have they shown enough to make it to the college playoff, college football playoff? What scenarios have to happen for them to be in the top four at the end of the year? Is their win against Ohio State considered considered good enough uh, for the resume? Sorry, this is a very strangely worded part. Is their win against Ohio State considering they went out to a good enough resume? Anyway, we'll just kind of – we understand the general con conceit of that question pretty clearly. Um, I put together some stuff here um, really quickly before this. I know Jared's done a little more research, so I'll throw it to him for – some more thoughts on this, but just the teams that are ahead of them that matter. Um, first off, the Big Ten is a mess, and so maybe I'll leave that to Jared to try to decipher. SEC really comes down to Georgia-Alabama in the SEC championship game. And if Georgia were to beat Alabama, Alabama's out, Georgia's in, that would be very helpful for Oregon. Um, mm -hmm. Cincinnati plays SMU, who's undefeated right now, I think, um, in a couple weeks. If they lose that game, they're out possibly, or Oregon at least has, a, I think, a better resume than them. Um, Oklahoma plays three ranked teams to close its regular season. Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Those three games matter if they drop one of those games. I actually think Oregon's resume is probably more impressive just because of the win over Ohio State. Um, but what I say all this to, to point to, they need some help. 
I don't think they totally control their own destiny. I mean, if they win out, I think they put themselves in a really good spot, but they are going to have to catch a couple breaks. Do you agree with that, Jared? Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, like, like you're saying, the Big Ten is going to self-destruct at one point. Um, it starts this upcoming week. Uh, Ohio State plays Penn State, and I know Penn State just lost to Illinois in nine overtimes, but that's still a good football program. Uh, Penn State can absolutely give Ohio State a little bit of a run for their money. And then they have Michigan and Michigan State. It's uh, Michigan Hate Week in, in East Lansing. So that's in the number six versus number eight team in the country. And I truly think that right now, obviously, if you get two losses, you're done. So if Oregon loses again, if Ohio State loses again, they're out. If Alabama loses again, they're out. Um, but going, in, going into this weekend, Ohio State has still has one. Penn State now has two. But Michigan and Michigan State still don't have a loss this season. And so one of those teams is obviously going to lose. And you still have Michigan who has to play Ohio State the last weekend of the year. So that's a huge game. Michigan State still plays Penn State later this year. And, Eric, you mentioned, but – Oklahoma, who is currently undefeated and is doing their best Oregon impression, winning every game by seven points or less, they have Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. Two of those games are on the road, Baylor and Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State just lost to Iowa State. They were the number eight team in the country, but were still a seven-point dog in, uh, I don't know where, Iowa State's from, not Ames. Ames, maybe? I don't know. That's right. Ames? All right, roll. Uh, So, and then you still have Iowa and Ole Miss at the bottom of the top 10. Ole Miss is going to have to really hope for people in front of them to start losing, as is Iowa. Um, but for Oregon, the best thing that they can do is to win out and really hope for some help. Uh, I'm going over this in my machinations column, but the, the win out theory that Oregon needs to have is very similar to that of the 2014 Oregon Ducks, the first team that made the college football playoffs. They lost on October 2nd to Arizona 30 or uh, uh, 31-24. This 2021 team loses to Stanford in Stanford on October 2nd, on October 2nd, 31 to 24. Interesting, right? Then that same 2014 team beats a good UCLA team. They were ranked in 2014 in October in the Rose Bowl. Oregon just does that. They beat UCLA. They weren't ranked. But that team loses in week five of the regular season and then goes on to win every single game for the rest of the year, including the Pac-12 championship game. And in order for Oregon to really have a shot at making the college football playoffs, they have to do that. They have to go undefeated the rest of the way. Like I was saying earlier, any two-loss team, that's an automatic out for the college football selection committee. I mean, Jared laid it out perfectly. There's, You're going to need a lot of help to get there. I do believe if that help does come, though, and Oregon wins every remaining game by one point, they're still in. Like, they're, if they go undefeated the rest of the way, they win, and they win by the skin of their teeth every time, and some of these teams get knocked off ahead of them, if Alabama loses – prior to the Pac-12, to the SEC championship game, or if they lose to Georgia, um, if Oklahoma loses before that happens, um, if we see another Big Ten team fall, you know, one of the undefeated, Michigan, Michigan State, 
um, if, if they fall, we're going to see Oregon in the playoff. They, they're probably going to be the four seed, which would face Georgia, um, unless Georgia gets knocked off in some capacity. But it's possible still. But like you guys both have said, they're going to need a lot of help. I don't care how how small of a margin of victory they have the rest of the way. It just You just need to win. And that win at Ohio State is going to boost your resume tremendously, especially as they continue to win. Two, two thoughts before we jump on to the next one. Um, first, I think it'll be interesting on, I think it's November 2nd was when the first college football playoff rankings are released. It's like next Tuesday. Um, I might be off on the date there, but I think it's next Tuesday for the first one. Um, be very curious to see what they do with Oregon, Ohio State, based on the head-to-head and the same record. You know, Ohio State exa- not, has not exactly gone out and beaten impressive teams. They've, they've won impressively. The margin is a lot more impressive than what Oregon has done. And obviously, Oregon has lost since that head-to-head. But you look at the teams Ohio State has played, and it's none of these top-ranked teams in the Big Ten. They still have some of those on the schedule. But it'll be interesting, I think, to see how they kind of wh- – how do they kind of handle that head-to-head? What, do, what does that do to the committee? Um, because ultimately – I would say if you're Oregon, you want to root for Ohio State, obviously, because that's your marquee win. I also mm-hmm. wonder if it comes down to for the four or five spot, Oregon versus Ohio State, how will the committee weigh that based upon is it just come down to the head to head? Oregon gets the favor there or does the rest of the season and how that has played out since like override some of that if they think that Ohio State has had a more impressive run, which they will because they would have been undefeated and beaten Big Ten teams, which are ranked right now. The Big Ten's got a bunch of teams in the top 15, top 12. Um, I'd be curious to see kind of what Ohio State does. Maybe that's not two things. Maybe that's just one kind of continued thought. But um, I, I think the Oregon-Ohio State element is kind of interesting. I think uh, I think Ohio State only has one win over a, a team with a record of 500 or better this year, and that's yeah. Minnesota in their first game of the year. Yeah. it's not. It hasn't been impressive yet. They have a lot on the back end. It's back yeah. Right, 100%. They have, play, they have to play Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan um, – Plus, Michigan, Michigan State in back-to-back weeks. And then plus the Big Ten championship game. So right. mm-hmm. if they were to run the table then and Oregon runs the table and it's four versus five, I, I think it would be kind of interesting. I, I hope it doesn't get there. I don't know if it will. Some of it will come down to Cincinnati and Oklahoma, though. Those are the two teams I think you really have to keep an eye on because the SEC is getting at least one team in and maybe two. Yeah. What do you think would happen there? With, with, with like, what? Hypothetically, if Ohio State runs the table, beats Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State – and then and Oregon Michigan. wins out and then beats uh, Ohio State beats whoever in the in the Big Ten championship game and Oregon beats whoever in the Pac-12 championship game. I, that's the that's the my that's the million dollar question for me is if it ends up yeah. being that I think it's really interesting for the committee and it's tough because you should say a win at Ohio State early in the season in September should outweigh some of the stuff because it's head to head but I also go it's not measured entirely on one game in September. You have to measure the whole thing. And if Ohio mm-hmm. State does make it through that part of the schedule unscathed, I think that, I mean, and I'm saying this as somebody who obviously wants Oregon to be in the college world playoff for a variety of reasons, um, partly because it'd just be really fun to be in that kind of situation and covering a game of that magnitude. Um, haven't had a chance to, to do that. I've covered Rose Bowls, but not college world playoffs. But I don't know. I think it's, I mean, I, I really think that's, if you're an Oregon fan, that's the one to kind of maybe just keep an eye that's on. a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. So part of that is going to need to be rooting against Cincinnati every week, against Alabama every week, and against Oklahoma every week. Yes. So if three teams lose and you went out, you're probably in. 
Yeah. The best case scenario is you is it ends up being a spot where you don't even have to worry about Ohio State and you're just you're, you're already the three or the four and you can kind of go, okay, whatever happens with them happens with them. And maybe you end up playing them in a two, three game, you know, an opening round in a rematch. That would be that would be interesting. So there's our college football playoff talk. We're going to start having to ramp this up, assuming Oregon keeps winning once we start getting – I mean, I'm excited. A week from today, we're going to get the first batch of rankings. A week from tomorrow, I should say, the first batch of rankings. We'll start to be able to kind of figure out how the committee sees all these teams. How do they view Oregon? Because it is an interesting one. I don't know how they're going to – Oregon has still the best win maybe of anybody in this kind of top group, but their loss is not impressive, and they haven't really had much after that's been overly impressive either. So it, it will be interesting to see how that comes together. All right, next one from at Scribe. What are the chances KT gets the Heisman? What What are chances KT hype, hype for Heisman? Hype for the Heisman, yeah. All right. What will, I'm sorry. I'm tired, guys. It's been a long week. <laughs> my reading struggling right now. What will it take to get him into the Final Four? Um, first off, Final Four is really hard to get to when you miss games. Um, and KT's missed a lot. And his production, because of that, is not quite what – you'd need it to be for a defensive player to really be taken seriously from my, from my perspective, right? Like I think he can still win Pac-12 defensive player of the year. In, in fact, my money would be, he does win that award if the coaches are honest because it's the coaches in the conference that, that vote on that. And if you're UCLA or you're Cal and you're their coaching staff and you vote for somebody else to win that award, I think you're probably being pretty disingenuous because KT just completely wrecked your team and honestly ruined your chances of winning those games. You know, I mean, for, for, for incredible, incredible performances against both those teams. So I still think that one is very much alive, regardless of missing some time. The Heisman Trophy is not one like that. It's like, you know, I, I think it was, I'm trying to think of some examples of this, um, uh, but there have been times certainly where there's been a guy where you go, oh man, he had a fantastic year, but you're like, ah, he missed two weeks with an ankle injury in October. He's not really in the conversation. I kind of worry about that for, for KT because really for a defensive player to, to win this, he has to be absolutely perfect and has to be, so much better than everybody else. And even for a defensive player to even be in the conversation. So I guess like if he replicates and just does what he just did against UCLA for like the next five regular season games in the Pac-12 championship game, and you look up and he suddenly has, I don't know, I have to do the, the math on this on the fly, but like 27, 28 tackles for loss and still has 15 sacks or something like that. I think that math kind of about checks out. Like maybe he's like kind of in the conversation, but Would have, like the only way I thought he was really going to have a shot of winning or even being in the conversation and being in New York for the, as a finalist was with if he had a year where it was like, oh my gosh, he had 38 tackles for loss and 21 sacks. You can't not give this guy the award or at least give him consideration. The fact that he's missed some time and so much time, I think kind of makes it hard for you to have an argument there, even though I think most people would agree he, he might really be the best player in college football. He's the best player in college football and he's not going to win the award because the Heisman has turned into a quarterback heavily favored award and if a quarterback doesn't win it a running back's going to win it and then the rare instance a receiver will win it i mean when's the last time a defensive player has won the award like that's 30 years yeah like he's he's the best player in college football he should be the number one draft pick but i don't think he's going to win the heisman i don't think he has a chance to win the heisman um but he's going to show that he's by far the most valuable and talented player in college football the last five games of the year. Yeah. I he'll, he'll get hyped for the Heisman. Don't worry. 
it'll, it'll, it'll just happen. He's going to be so good enough. Uh, you saw against UCLA and against Cal and how impressive he was that he'll get the hype. This is just, I think, uh, actually, I, like this is just a quarterback or running back thing. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, the wide receiver, like exactly like Matt said. Because I was going to say the weeks off are going to kill him, but Caleb Williams has a lot of Heisman hype, but he hasn't, you know, he's played two games now. Sure. Um, so that kind of defeats that argument. I'm looking at the odds right now. Bryce Young is a favorite at plus 185. And then Matt Corral from Old Miss, there's quarterback, is plus 250. That makes a lot of sense. And I don't think, regardless of how Thibodeau does for the rest of the year, I don't think he's going to find himself in New York when it comes time for the Heisman Trophy presentation. It's, and that's not to say that he's not a good enough player, but the weeks, the weeks that he's missed, the fact that he's a defensive lineman and he's not a quarterback who's throwing the ball every down, um, it just hurts. And, you know, Oregon finally got over their Heisman slump with Mariota. And maybe it's the the West Coast games, and there's so many 7:30 starts for Oregon this year. But yeah, I just it would be an amazing feat if he won the award. But I don't see it happening. I would be devastated if an Ole Miss quarterback wins the award over <laughs> over Kayvon Thibodeau. Just from like, really, Ole Miss is going to have a quarterback win a Heisman Trophy before someone of K- KT stand. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Corral's had a great season, and I know Jared's very much on the Ole Miss hype train it has been for a while but always yeah but like still it's matt corral I, like he's i've watched him play throughout <laughs> he's good he's, he's, he's great this year but like historically i'm just like I, that guy's a heisman trophy winner what a weird year for college football all right last couple of these are quarterback centric so get ready from at sheriff woody 503 with ab graduating and future uncertainty surrounding the quarterback position do you see oregon reaching out to spencer rattler if he decides to transfer hashtag odds and audibles. Um, ah, uh, me, me, I don't uh, want to bring Spencer Rattler no. to the program. Yeah, I would say the same. There's some kind of not so savory things being said about how he's handled this, by the way. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem like he's a great locker room fit guy. And is that really what you want to do? Especially when it sounds like the chemistry, and again, Talent maybe supersedes chemistry sometimes, but the chemistry at quarterback all fall was like these guys really like each other. They get along. There's there's no you know there's no ill will against each other. Um, we've seen kind of Rattler be the opposite of that, the antithesis of that. So I, he's super talented, but he's also a quarterback who like just kind of got benched. So like yeah, how how talented is he? Yeah, you know who usually... I, you know who I'd be hypothetically more interested in is if DJ. I'm going to try to, I don't even know if I can pronounce his name, but DJ. Uyagalale. And then the funny thing is I've actually met him and talked to him and his family, and I still have no idea how to pronounce his name. This was years ago no, in Moscow. Yeah. But uh, if he were to transfer, hypothetically, from Clemson, because he's playing atrociously, um, and Clemson is really bad, that would be, and he's eligible to play right away, that would be very... That would that would kind of pique my interest more than a Spencer Rattler, if I'm being honest, just because he doesn't have any of these um, supposed uh, locker room issues. And DJU knows a lot of the guys on the team. He was high school teammates with, I think, about half a dozen guys that are at Oregon. So there, there's certainly some kind of common ground there. And I think he might be like, I, I still, I know his stats are terrible this year, but I still kind of just believe in him to figure it out at some point, even though he's been really bad this year. And it, like, if you look at the numbers. Anthony Brown's been better than DJU, which is like one of those things you say and go like, 
that doesn't seem like it can be right, but it is if you look at the numbers. It's a really weird season for him. I, I don't see the benefit in bringing it in, bringing him in. Um, I, 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 either guy? Any quarterback? Rattler? Rattler. Okay. DJU, I'm with you. Like, go go get him if he hits the transfer portal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I let's make this a bigger question. Should Oregon go and find a grad transfer or uh, a quarterback in the portal out that can play right away um, for next season? I think if a certain player hits the portal – like a DJU where it's like, Hey, he was a five-star top 10 player in the country. You know, former number one quarterback hits the portal type of a deal. Sure. But at the same time, if it's going out and finding a middle of the road graduate transfer, I I don't think it's worth bringing that guy in. Yeah. I think some of this is what do they actually think about the current guys? And if they do go add a grad transfer, who's not, a DJU, I'm with you, Matt. I would say that would indicate to me they really don't think much of their quarterbacks. And yeah. I would be kind of mm-hmm. concerned with that because I would feel like, are we stuck in the same motion picture? And we know the ending where they just don't know who they've got at quarterback. There's no confidence about developing these guys. And they're just going to go out and find kind of, they're going to piecemeal this year after year. And every year is, hey, this is the bridge quarterback to the next thing. But then the next guy who comes in isn't the guy. And I know that's being a little bit negative, but I would be really concerned if they don't, if they feel the need to go add somebody, unless it's a can't miss. I, I, I don't personally, if, if DJ is out there, I think you bring him in and he wants to come, you bring him in just because he's so talented. And again, he yeah. almost landed him out of high school. So there's definitely mutual interest here. I mean, I, I actually, I think I, one of the few times I put a crystal ball in, cause I don't, I'm not as frequent from a recruiting perspective was for DJU after talking to some people down at Bosco. Cause it really felt like for a part of his recruitment, Oregon was, was in the driver's seat, or at least it was close enough to really suggest that. Um, so he'd be interesting, but I, I, unless it's somebody of that caliber, and there's probably not anyone else out there besides maybe Spencer Rattler, who I think we're all kind of passing on, I, I just don't see it being a positive. And, and honestly, I'd rather see them develop a player like a Ty Thompson or a Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford for two to three to four seasons, see how that looks, um, and, and go from there. And if they can't develop these these quarterback recruits, who again, all of which are, I think, in the top 12 of quarterbacks Oregon has, has signed all time, that's really concerning. And that becomes something where I go, man, if they can't bring in these high four-star recruits, Thompson, almost a five-star, I think he's a five-star on some services, and they have to kind of go and find other options, that, that would actually be really concerning for me. I hope I hope they don't feel they have to go out and do that this offseason. I don't know. If, I don't know. I some, There's a part of me that would be okay if they went after – some grad transfer quarterback, like a similar to Anthony Brown when Tyler Shuck was the guy to take the job where hypothetically, if Thompson or Butterfield or Ashford can't get the job done or all three of them can't get the job done, they have somebody who has experience and could at least, you know, be a placeholder for another year. I mean, there's a, it's just a part of me that thinks that way. And I just think it's a systemic issue at that point is if you feel like right. every off season. Right. And I don't think that they would, I, I'm in agreement on, I don't, I don't think I'd, I'd want Spencer Rattler around the program. I just, I don't know. He's, I know that he's talented. It's a question right now of how talented because he was like a preseason top 10 draft pick and now he's been benched seven games into the year. So that's not a good sign. Um, but yeah, if DJ Uangalai is, is available on the transfer portal, 
send all the dogs, like try to try to get him on the team. Uh, that's just one of those players where it's like if any, I don't know, because he's been there for two years at Clemson. He's behind Trevor Lawrence for one year. He has a terrible year this year. Uh, Clemson's offensive line is brutal. Their offense in general is brutal. Uh, I think he's someone who could absolutely flourish in another another program just with a fresh start. Just give him like, hey, DJ, it's fine. Just forget about it. Move on. Here's the, here's the, here's the playbook. Have fun. Um, he's a guy who I think Oregon should absolutely take a flyer on hypothetically. Um, I think it would be tough. I think, I mean, like, I think he would come back to the West Coast hypothetically in this idea. I think USC would be a big target as well. But if they can bring in talent like that, sure, bring it in, just like what you two were saying. But anybody else, it just seems like this is either going to be Thompson's job, Butterfield, or Ashford's job. They just need to stick with one of those guys. All right, final one from at Gabe King 2021 King. Do you guys think that AB can help U of O beat Alabama, Georgia, or Oklahoma? If not, then wouldn't it be better to get our quarterback for next year figured out? Just wondering if coasting by the rest of the Pac-12 and then getting slaughtered in a playoff game is better because AB can't do it. Um, I will. I mean, the first question, yeah, I don't have much confidence in them beating Bama or Georgia. Oklahoma maybe just because they've been kind of – they've been playing similar in terms of coasting by, although I think anybody listening would agree Caleb Williams is more talented than Anthony Brown and they'd have an edge there. Um, I, so like that part, sure. Like I don't, I'm not super confident Anthony Brown beating those teams. I, I'd actually be very, very surprised if Oregon can win games with him at quarterback against Bama and Georgia because I think to beat a team like that, you need elite quarterback play. You really do against the defense, the caliber of athlete they have on defense, especially at Georgia this year. It's like that'd be a game where I would be just scared crapless about maybe <laughs> getting slaughtered. So I get that that part. Yes. I get. I understand that point. I think that's fair. Um, the next part I just agree disagree with wholeheartedly though. Um, so the logic here is you're going to basically, I don't want to say throw away the rest of the season, but midway through a year where you're six and one, and then this gets back to a little bit of what Matt was saying earlier. Um, but if you're six and one and you're in a position to win your third straight Pac-12 championship, you really want to make a change now. Um, and we were asking for a change we made a couple weeks ago. I'm not going back on that. I think when we made those comments, very much made sense, right? I think clearly he wasn't playing well. He's terrible against Stanford. He would say it. We would say it. There, if that was going to be a time to make a change, it was then. I would also say if the idea for this, the impetus between behind making a change is purely to prepare for next year, you're doing a real disservice to your team. And how do you explain mm -hmm. that in a locker room to Kayvon Thibodeau, who this is his last season of, hey, we have a chance to maybe run the table, maybe get into the college football playoff. Even if we don't, we're probably Rose Bowl at worst, right? But let's not, let's pull the plug on that idea and try out a young guy to get ready for next season when you're not here. I just feel like that's a really... That's such fan logic as opposed to what the coaching staff has to be thinking. If that were to happen, I would be really concerned if, if Mario Cristobal comes out and goes, yeah, we're in position here to make a run, but we know Anthony Brown can't win in the college football playoff. Let's just get started for 2022. Like, what a what a silly way to look at it. Because guess what? That would have really negative imp implications for a lot of things. I think you might lose the locker room. It would yeah. hurt It would hurt recruiting. Mm -hmm. It would hurt recruiting. You know what helps recruiting? Certainly. Three straight championships and played for two, you know, one, two Rose Bowls. Those kind of things help recruiting. So, no, I, I I understand the first part. I think we're all in agreement. Anthony Brown is not a quarterback that is very likely at all. Like, I get like a less than a 1% chance that on, on any given Saturday he can really go out and beat one of those teams. At the same time, pulling him because of that and trying to plan for 2022 to me just feels really stupid. 
why? Like, mm -hmm. you're seventh in the country. You have one loss. You are in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12 for a third straight year, and you just want to throw all that away to start building for 2022. And which, mind you, Ty Thompson could could win the job in 2022, and get destroyed as a first game starter at quarterback, or you could do this crazy scenario, no offense. And in 2022 week one against Georgia, get destroyed. Like, <laughs> True. like that's very, very possible. <laughs> and you just thwarted all of the success you had this season uh, to get that experience for 2022. And then all of a sudden people are going to come out in 2022 saying, well, the season's over. They got destroyed by Georgia. Let's go to 2023 now. Like, yeah. That's kind of what I'm talking about earlier about just move on, except, you know, enjoy this season for what it is. And I'm not trying to say you can't be critical of Anthony Brown because I'll say it. He's not good. Like consistently he, he's not, and he's not a middle tier quarterback in this conference. And he's probably one of the worst quarterbacks, statistically speaking, that Oregon has had the last 15 years. I just said a whole bunch of negative things about him. That's true. But I don't want like I, I get I just I don't want to go back to that conversation. But this goes with it, where it's just everyone just can't see what's in front of them because they're so focused about the future. When you're willing to throw away a, 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 another trip to the Rose Bowl, like are we Josh Huff all of a sudden, where Rose Bowls are boring? <laughs> yes. It's a good, um, good reference, by the way, for those listening. I hope I hope, I hope those listening appreciate that as much as I did. <laughs> I think just to answer the question, I don't think it matters who's at quarterback for Oregon this year if they want to try to beat Bama or Georgia. That's a really good it's just, a really It's good just point. not – like unless you go get Justin Herbert who might have an extra year of eligibility, two oh. years in, from, in the NFL, maybe. But Georgia and Bama – well, Georgia specifically is stopping on people. They look absolutely terrifying. I would honestly hate to play them in any college football playoff matchup. Bama is also one of those teams where it's like, oh, shit, we have to go against Bama. Oh, excuse my swearing. And then Oklahoma is just like Oregon. They're, they're skating by. They're, I've said this a couple of times now on this podcast. They're winning every game by like seven or less. It's them and Oregon are finding ways to win, and that's fine. But, again, the second half of this question is silly. You know, just like what both of you guys have been saying. You know, they're still seven and one. They still have a chance to get – all the way down to the Rose Bowl, at least they still have a chance to win the to win out and make the college football playoffs. And we just went over that for like 15 minutes of how they can do it, and yet we just want to, hey, AB, take the bench. Last five games of the year, tie you're up. Let's let's see how you do, kid. No, that's not it, and it won't ever be it. And that's all right because Oregon still finds themselves in a chance to win with a below average quarterback. Can we also, like, I saw this a couple times during the game on Saturday. I've seen it multiple times. Like, well, Alabama has no problem destroying the bottom dweller of the SEC. Why can't Oregon destroy the bottom dweller of the Pac-12? Like, you're going to claim the team that's won, like, what, six or seven national championships the last 15 years and compare Oregon to the same level? Like, Alabama is so far ahead of everybody else in the country. You can't right. say Alabama does this, so we should be able to do this. 
And it's almost to the point where Georgia is in the same deal. 10 of Georgia's 11 defensive starters are five-star recruits. Like, Pretty good. That's, that's pretty cool, that's actually. Cool. <laughs> and Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio <laughs> State did the math while Jared was talking. They, have, they are the three most talented teams in college football. They have 49 five-star players on their rosters combined including Clemson, who's the fourth-best team in the country, all the way down to number 13 Miami, you have to add all those teams, Clemson, LSU, Oklahoma, Florida, Texas A&M, Oregon, USC, Texas, Notre Dame, and Miami. You have to add all of those teams, all of their five stars, to equal what Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State have on their rosters in terms of five-star talent. And guess yeah, what? They're in a, Beat one of those three teams. Right. They're in a different world. It's very hard. It's easy to compare because Oregon, other than 2020, within the last two years, have, have been in that same hope oh, fire. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> uh, anyways, Oregon has been in that, that conversation. They've been in there for a, a couple times now. And, you know, it's easy to compare. You know, Mario Cristobal and his Alabama ties bringing a lot of kids from the South. They are finally recruiting like an SEC team. But, yeah, they're Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, Clemson, except for this year, are in their own their own different world compared to the rest of the sport. Yep. And that's like was the argument at the beginning of the year. It's like, oh, we already know who's going to be in the college football playoffs, so why even bother watching the season? Well, this is why you watch the season. You have a 7-0 Cincinnati team who's knocking on the door. But, yeah, it's uh, it's – it's hard to compare. It's easy to compare, but it's for, for Oregon in this situation, they're not going to be that Alabama team where they're winning every game against the bottom dwellers, 45 to 14. And that's okay. As long as they win. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin audibles podcast. Uh, Eric will not be joining us the rest of the 30 no. seconds of this show, but uh, for Jared Mack and myself, Matt Perrin, thank you for listening to the Austin audibles podcast. We'll talk to you later. Peace.